Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. As people who listen to this podcast know, I occasionally get drawn into a Facebook forum. Or let it be known, I'm only member, a member I should say, of four. One of which is a local uh, village, my local town kind of forum where people talk about their dogs and cats that have gone missing and various kind of situations occurring locally. Well, I happened to see on that that somebody put up that they had a 10-year-old daughter and did they know of any photo club locally that their daughter could begin to start attending? Well, I... uh, got back to that person and I said, well, you know, don't worry about trying to join a club. The important thing, I think, when you start working with photography, enjoying photography, is the fun element and that the one thing she should do is get herself a little cheap camera that it doesn't matter what happens to it at that age, doesn't matter if it gets dropped or whatever it may be, and she just starts taking photographs of the things that she enjoys. The person thanked me and then got back to me and said, well, what camera shall we buy her and what software program should we invest in? I encourage them to do neither, to go straight on to eBay or a similar kind of a site, buy the cheapest compact camera they could find that seemed reasonable to them and forget about software until that person had learned how to see They thanked me again, and that just seemed to me as if I'd done a good deed, which always makes all of us feel good, doesn't it? I suppose, in a way, what I was giving was feedback. So let's talk a little bit about feedback, shall we? In the new BBC Photo Competition programme that started in the past week, there is a section called Feedback. The programme's presented by Rankin in a rather dull and lifeless way, in my opinion, but he says that he will give positive and negative feedback. To me, there should be no negative feedback, only positive. But feedback is what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Feedback should make you think, reflect, analyse and move forward. You need to accept that photography is a long haul. It's a long and nutritious meal and not a short, sharp hit of refined sugar that makes you feel good in the moment, but that leaves you feeling empty with tooth decay. That young photographer just starting out has just had her first piece of feedback. I hope her and her father respond positively to it, although it wasn't what they were expecting to hear. There seems to be a new practice um, being undertaken by book publishers that I think is worth commenting on, just in case you have it happen to you, so you can know what to do if it does. This is the practice. I've heard of two London-based book publishers over the last year or so. Contact photographers ask for their work to appear in a photo book, but as a payment for that, usage, offer only a copy of the book, which wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the work that the photographer is going to give the publisher. So the publisher is going to make money out of it. The photographer is going to get the book that they've helped create, but nothing else. As I say, I know of two London-based publishers who have made this offer to photographers over the last year. 
But I also know of photographers who received these offers and who then went straight back to the publisher and said, well, you can use my photograph and thanks very much for the book, but you've also got to pay and this is what you're going to have to pay. They suggest a reasonable figure, not an outlandish figure, not an unreasonable figure, a reasonable figure. And that's worth bearing in mind. In return to that offer, for that offer, the publishers have all said, yes, OK, we will pay you. So if you get a book publisher ringing you up and saying, can we use one of your pictures for free? Make sure you don't. Make sure you get the book and the payment. I spoke at the beginning of this episode about the importance of the long haul, and this week's contributor to What Does Photography Mean to You certainly understands that concept. It's Mick Critchlow, a social documentary photographer based in the northeast of England, who has worked on long term community based projects for over 40 years. The son of a miner, he has worked within the community with a deep-rooted empathy for the townsfolk and the area that he documents. Critchow left high school in 1970 at the age of 15 years without academic qualifications and went straight into the workplace two days after leaving school, gaining full employment as a tailor's trimmer at a local clothing factory. From there, he went straight into the Merchant Navy as a cabin boy and worked his way through the ranks to become a steward cook whilst being active within the National Union of Seamen. In 1977, he enrolled on a two-year course at his local college studying art, history and graphic design as a mature student. It was while at college that he picked up a camera for the first time and immediately fell in love with the medium and process of photography. On seeing an exhibition of paintings by the Pitmen painters, he realised the value of art as a social document and in the same year he began a long-term photography project which documented his hometown of Ashington, Northumberland. In 1979, he received grant funding from Northern Arts from the Arts Council of England to produce documentary photography work in the area in which he lived. In 1980, he was commissioned by Side Gallery in Newcastle and was introduced to fellow photographers Chris Killop, Graham Smith and Circa Lisa Continen, who were also producing long-term projects on the working-class communities of the north-east of England. For the past 42 years, Critchlow has photographed the town, people and surrounding areas of Ashington, the town in which he was born, educated and still lives. His work is held in public and private collections and has been exhibited widely. A book of his work, Coal Town, was published in 2019. often say this, but I'm an accidental photographer. When I was young, I never had much interest in photography. I travelled the world as a seafarer to the most far-flung areas of the globe, but didn't make any visual record of my adventures. Never once did I say to myself, I wish I had a camera. The days of my youth would be forever resigned to only distant memories of time, people and amazing places. I'd always been interested in art. It was the only subject which I enjoyed at school. I could draw and paint so decided to do an arts correspondence course through the Seafarers Education Service. 
It was through this that I decided to leave my life at sea in 1977 to enter further education on an arts foundation course. Taking an interest in art history, I fell in love with the work of the Impressionists. The sense of immediacy, capturing life and freezing moments in time, cut-off compositions creating tension within the frame. The work of Manet, George Seurat, Edgar Degas had a profound effect on me visually. As part of my course, we had to do a photography module, mainly to gather visual reference material for future design work. Given a 35mm camera loaded with black and white film and basic instruction, I set it with the intention to fulfil my brief, but came back to college with rows of film depicting the area in which I lived, the people I knew and the places that I frequented. After processing the films and making prints in the darkroom, I showed my results to my lecturer who told me that I had produced social documentary photography. I was totally unaware that those words would change my life. I set out to study the work of other photographers. Delving into the library, I found monographs by Tony Ray Jones, Ian Berry, Robert Frank and Diane Arbus. Later in 1978, my course leader organised a trip to Newcastle's art galleries, including a visit to the newly established side gallery to see an exhibition. This was my first experience seeing photography in a gallery space. The exhibition was a retrospective of the work of Henry Cartier-Bresson, which consisted of over 200 prints celebrating his 70th birthday. Within 12 months of seeing this exhibition, I applied for and received Northern Arts funding to continue my work in South East Northumberland, documenting the area during a period of social change. By 1979, I'd had my own solo exhibition of my early student work, and photographs included in a group show at Newcastle Spectre Arts Gallery. Shortly after this, I was taken under the wings of Amber Films and Side Gallery as a young photographer. I remember being invited to Side Gallery for a meeting and was met by directors Murray Martin and Chris Cullip. Murray was straight to the point. So you want to be a photographer, he asked. I'd already been making images for two years, so initially thought that this question was just a little bit of a put-down. It wasn't, of course. He was encouraging me to go out and carry on with what I was doing. I was advised to work on more long-form projects, build up a body of work and follow my heart. You'll never make any money, of course, not in documentary, he said. And this, for me, has remained true to this day. It's never been ever about financial reward. It's always been more about the work. It's about the community and my engagement with the people I meet and the lives I record. These things are priceless. If there's one quote by Murray which I've held closely, it is, memory is an unreliable tool. For me, the act of photography has always been a way to aid memory, where every frame is not just an exposure capturing people in situations of time and place, but where every release of the shutter button, in effect, becomes an act of remembrance to what has gone before and what will never return. It's only now in retrospect that I think to myself and look back to my misspent youth, I wish I'd had a camera. Thank you, Mick, for your contribution this week. Feedback, definitely a key part there of what Mick had to talk about in his journey as a long-haul photographer. That idea of being questioned as to do you want to be a photographer when he went to the Amberside Gallery there? Really, I suppose, at the essence of what feedback is about. Feedback isn't always about opinions being given. For my mind, it's about questions being given. It's about questioning the work and questioning the photographer, both their intention and, perhaps more importantly, their expectation. By laying down the 
sort of, I suppose, harsh reality of not going to be able to earn any money from the work that Mick was going to do really put forward an expectation that Mick had to accept. It wasn't going to be a question of Mick arguing about that. He was just going to have to take that feedback and work with it. And what better person to hear from also than Chris Killop at that age? If you're not aware of Mick Critchlow's work, obviously I'm going to say check it out. But really, I think it's one of the great, perhaps not known enough, bodies of work that exist in the UK today of a time that is absolutely gone. So check out Mick Critchlow. You might also like to check out a couple of other photographers from the Northeast who've appeared on previous podcasts telling us what photography means to them. That's Tom Stoddart and Circa Lisa Continent, referred to there by Mick. It was also interesting there to hear from Mick, although not surprising, the influence of painters in his work. That really tied in with something that I've been kind of thinking about over the last few weeks, which is how often do we as photographers not only look at the masters of photography of the past, as well as contemporary work, always good to have that balance, but also looking at the work of the great painters, the portrait painters, the still life, the landscape and so forth. We need to look to the masters of painting and photography. But perhaps that needs a little bit more meat on the bone. Portrait, landscape, documentation, abstraction, still life and multiple forms of visual storytelling have all been done before. In paint, gesso and ink, scratched, layered and applied, photography is not dealing with anything new. Photographers are the new kids on the block, and I think it's worth remembering that. Of course, there's now a rich history of photographic practitioners to turn to for inspiration, and it is important to understand the makers who came before us, but it is just as important to understand who influenced them. Peter Galassi, the associate curator in the Department of Photography at the Museum of Modern Art, argued that photography was not a bastard left by science on the doorstep of art, but a legitimate child of the Western pictorial tradition. The liner notes to Galassi's book, Before Photography, Painting and the Invention of Photography, state that it is not separate from painting or drawing. It is closely related Ever since the Renaissance invention of linear perspective, artists had considered vision of the sole basis of representation. But only gradually did they formulate pictorial strategies capable of suggesting the immediacy and relativity of everyday visual experience. Only after centuries of experiment did they come to value pictures that seemed to be caught by the eye, rather than composed by the mind. Quite a bit there to kind of chew over, and you might even want to go back over it and repeat what I said, or just check out Peter Glassy and some of his other writing. But that relevance of art and painting, from the abstract to the figurative, are totally relevant to where we are, I think, today, as photographers. If you're a musician and you didn't understand the music of the past and the musicians of the past as well of the future, or an architect who 
was an understanding of the work of, shall we say, Christopher Wren right through to the present day, you would be considered to not really be taking your practice, your career, your profession, your passion seriously. But with photography, it's exactly the same. If you're going to take it seriously, you really do need to engage with all areas of visual representation. Don't limit yourself. Free yourself. Enjoy what's out there. And I guarantee it will not only change your ideas about composition, about lighting, about framing, but it might also address some of your beliefs about art of the past. I was talking to somebody the other day, a young photographer, and um, I said to them, well, you know, what do you do culturally? Are you reading? Are you listening to podcasts? Are you getting engaged with all those areas of popular culture? He said, no. He said, uh, I'm a visual person. Well, to think that visual culture and visual engagement is defined only by looking at what we recognise would be to, I suppose, limit yourself and your opportunities and to limit your work. So that's never going to be a good idea, is it? So that's where we are for this episode. (laughs) Perhaps a slightly strident kind of approach. Maybe it's my second jab kicking in. I know my voice has been a little bit croaky uh, on this particular episode. It's broken a few times. It does seem to me that my second jab of the Oxford AstraZeneca has left me with a slight kind of long haul jet lag feel, which I suppose actually is not a bad thing because in a period and a time when you can't travel, at least I've got an element of what it feels like to travel, even if it's the one that you don't necessarily want to have. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this week. Uh, Don't forget that you can sign up for the newsletter. You can buy the book, What Does Photography Mean to You? from bluecoatpress.co.uk, 9.99. Sign up for the newsletter through the uh, website, unitednationsofphotography.com. I think that's about time for this week's episode to finish before my voice completely gives up on me. So make sure in the coming week that you do the thing that I recommend that you do every week. I'm going to add, stay open-minded, but I'm also going to say, take care.